You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And our youth class is at this time, and I know they're going to have a wonderful time together tonight. And I'm going to take your attention, if I can, to the book of Exodus chapter number 20. The book of Exodus chapter number 20. And tonight we're going to begin a new series. And so I'm very excited about this new series. The Lord, I felt the Lord uh, specifically direct me to teach on this series at this time. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a relevant series anytime. Uh, it would have been relevant uh, a month ago, two months ago, 10 years ago. It's relevant today. It'll be relevant tomorrow and uh, in the years ahead. And this series is, is on the Ten Commandments. So we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments over the next few weeks, Lord willing, here. And uh, believing God to help us here, maybe just give a little bit of revelation. So tonight, we're primarily tonight going to set up uh, an introduction factor, I guess you could say, uh, which this text is so rich. This text is so rich. Um, so there are summary passages of scripture where you can go to and those passages you could isolate not that we would do that, but you could isolate, take it, focus on that, and just uh, let that be your, your sole focus and, and goal and guide. And by doing that, uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to hit the right marks. Um, that being said, this is one of those places, the Ten Commandments. And there's several places in Scripture where uh, it summarizes these together. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter number 20. Amen. And I think it's only fitting that we read the context of these scriptures together. So we're going to read the first 17 verses of Exodus chapter number 20 together. And I want you to be able, uh, uh, just for context sake, to go through this, have this fresh in your mind before we get into it. So let's stand together. It's Wednesday night. We're going we're gonna to read. I don't normally do this. I don't normally do a lengthy passage here, but uh, we're going to read this passage together. And let's just open up with prayer if we can right now together. Would you pray with me, Lord, in Jesus' name? I thank you, Lord, for your spirit and your presence tonight. And I ask that over these next couple of weeks and next few moments together, that your word could speak into our life, that it would be more than just an ancient text, but that it would be something that we can live by and implement, God, and open up our heart to even now. And I pray this tonight in your name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Let's look at Exodus chapter number 20 while you're standing. Uh, I don't know if they're able to get that on the screen. If not, it's okay. But let's begin at Exodus chapter number 20 and verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And now we get into the ten commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that in them is and resteth the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed Bless the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not still. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 I want to talk to you from this series because... I am because I am. He gave us 10 commandments and so often we list them and we jump to them. But God began with this simple statement. I am the Lord thy God. And then he begins to talk about what he did because I am a look at the 10 commandments. You can be seated tonight. This is defined by many scholars, by Judaism itself, as God's moral law. We've heard a lot about morality. We've heard a lot about different things as people have presented their defenses and their reasoning for voting certain ways in the last day, in the last, really the last few weeks and month as Absentee and early voting has been at an all-time high. We are a nation that has been influenced by God and by His Word. It's not an accident that in some of the highest courts around our nation, in the highest court around our nation, these ten principles are inscribed on the walls, and they're hung around, they're etched in the stone, and it becomes a basis or a foundation for legislating certain things. Sadly, our nation has broke ranks with most of this law most of the time. That's never more truly illustrated than in the halls of our entertainment and sadly within too many homes in America. Politics 
and politicians will not save our nation and it will not save our world. But revival will make the difference. And a return to the things of God are the only thing that has promise with it. These Ten Commandments were given by God to the children of Israel, and these commandments carried with them, if you will, a great promise. If you would follow these commandments, there was great promise, great self-preservation. But God also, in the giving of the promise, would warn them that there would be great curse that would come upon anyone that would not follow after these commandments. It's for this reason alone that these 10 commandments are as relevant today in 2020 as they were to the generation of people that marched out of the Exodus, amen, out of Egypt, through the Exodus, way back when God first gives them to Moses. These 10 commandments will impact your life like nothing else. If you want a rule to live by, if you want something to set your course by, to set your sails by, if you will, these 10 commandments ring true. And it's my hope and my desire, my, my attempt is going to be to show you how relevant these Ten Commandments are, to maybe lift them out of the archaic corner that they have been pressed into to wipe the dust off and allow us to see how truly compatible they are with our Life. Now, the moral law of God existed before God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in the generation that left the Exodus. This moral law is testified in several different places. First of all, we see Paul talk about it in Romans. And Paul gives us an argument for two reasons why every human being is going to be without excuse when they stand before God. I talked about it last night in our prayer meeting. Uh, somewhere around the number of 3 billion people live in our world today and do not have uh, let's say, open access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They live in regions and nations where there are no churches that exist, where there are no places where uh, 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 the gospel is even known. And in some of those places, there have been certain outposts of certain uh, fringe parts of Christianity that may have made it in there, but there's a large group that do not know Jesus Christ. One of the things that Christ tells us, that Scripture tells us, is that the return of the Lord will not take place, the second coming of Christ, will not take place until His gospel has been preached throughout all of the world. It is the Great Commission that causes us to pray and labor and give in missions and endeavor to see the gospel of Jesus Christ preached throughout all of the world. So what happens to those people? What happens? There's been questions that have been proposed. 
what happens to the individual that lives on the other side of the world, that has no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What kind of God would judge a person that has no knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul gives a strong argument, and his argument is based in the doctrines and understanding the revelation of the Old Testament. Two points where all man, all mankind is going to stand without excuse before God. The first of those is creation. Creation itself, Paul says, testifies to the fact, amen, that all men are without excuse. I don't know if I have it here. If we went to Romans chapter number one, amen. Romans chapter number one, let me just turn here because this is, this is very important. This is strong language for us. He says in chapter 1 and verse 18, I didn't give this to them, but for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He says down in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Creation itself stands as a witness and a testimony that there is a God. Yes. No one in their right mind can look at the intricacies and the fine-tuning of the universe right. That's right. and the human body right. and not step back and say, this is not an accident. The greatest lie that's proposed throughout our world today is the, the atheistic uh, uh, doctrine of, of an evolution that does not involve God. A big bane accident that just happened. I'm going to tell you, we must be careful that we don't give room to these doctrines of devils because if we can look at the fine tuning of the universe, it does not take a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a doctoral degree, a high school diploma, to understand that all of this did not just happen by some accident. No doctor in their right mind, no expert in their right mind would happen upon a vehicle in the middle of the woods and say, look at what nature did. Right. Amen. We were walking in... Uh, the uh, Salt Lake Trail. I know. I know some of you have been to the Salt Lake Trail down by Valmire, south uh, uh, west of Waterloo. We were walking this out. Salt Lake Trail, and and uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and we were hiking. We had the kids and Luca and Grant and uh, the girls, and, and they were running uh, running up in the woods. And we saw up as we were walking through the woods. You see up, you see the the cliffs, and you could see the big gaping holes of the mines there. And there was a little footpath, and so we followed that 
up, and when we hiked up the footpath, I don't know what kind of car it is, but there's an old rusty car that uh, uh, is is up there on uh, the, the 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 hillside, deep into the woods. There's no road up there. There's no way. It's so rusted out, completely co- covered over with rust. The car looks like it would probably be something, a small little car, maybe like a, an old MG or something. It's not something very big, but maybe that came out of the 50s, I don't know, the 60s. So it's been there a while. And we just happened on that. And the only explanation, the logical explanation is that somehow it was in the mine and where the big hole of the mine is, somebody pushed it out of the mine and it just tumbled down, came apart. And there it is because nobody would have driven and carried it up to that point and just left it there. And and so we're sitting there and we're trying to figure out how did this get here in the middle of the woods on this hill next to the cliff. Here it is. It must have been pushed out of that hole right there and tumbled down here. But nobody walked up to it and said, look at this. Nature created something that looks like an automobile. And this thing is covered with rust and it's messed up and there's tires laying around and a rim over here and a dashboard over here and it's strewn all across the place. But nobody would happen upon a brand new Tesla in the middle of the wilderness and say, well, wouldn't you look at this? This is another anomaly of creation. Let's, let's create a natural, uh, a national park right here. Nobody would say that. But yet we look at something that is, is more miraculous than a Tesla and the human body or the fine-tuning of the earth. And Paul said that all men, what did he say? He said, so that they are without excuse. So creation is the first thing that's without excuse. And the second reason in Romans chapter number 10, he said, therefore thou art inexcusable. All right, here it is. O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. What does this mean? Romans chapter 2, that old English, it may be hard. So let me break it down for you. Paul says this. He said, if you ever look at someone else and you make a judgment about their life, whether they are doing something right or wrong, he said immediately you are without excuse. What is he testifying to? He's testifying to our conscience. Because in order for you to look at somebody else and say that's wrong, your conscience first identified in yourself that it would be wrong for you to do that. And if it's wrong for you to do that, then you can point to somebody else and say it's wrong for them to do that. The second reason why why all humanity is without excuse is because you have a conscience. And by the way, evolution and science and nature alone never, never proves or provide reason or explanation for why we have a conscience. Why does humanity have a conscience, but an ant doesn't? Why does humanity have a conscience, but other animals and creatures don't have a conscience? because God gave it to you and you were made in the image
image of God. So God's moral law existed in humanity before the giving of the Ten Commandments. We also see that His law existed through relationships. So first, it existed in creation, it existed in the human conscience, and then God's moral law thirdly existed through relationships He had with mankind. I don't want to spend too much time here, but we would namely say Adam. We could talk about Noah. We could talk about Job. We could talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, unto whom all three the Lord appeared, and even Joseph, to whom God spoke to in dreams. God spoke His moral law. But now we come to the Exodus, and a nation of peoples is brought out of Egypt. And I say people's plural because they were largely the offspring of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there was a mixing among them. And not only in that mixing, there was also others that would leave with them. After 400 plus years in Egypt, they were brought out and now God is going to make a covenant with them. And God is going to make them a people and he's going to give them a name. And in this giving of the law through Moses, we see the first written form of the moral law of God explained and expounded and unfolded. This is paramount. This is, this is uh, uh, huge. The, this is the first mention of a written code of God's law to God's people. These Ten Commandments are the most powerful parameters for any single life. I would argue even for today, and we'll prove this here in a few moments, but this is the most powerful parameter for any single life. They are emphatic rules for the purpose ultimately, of self-preservation. These are emphatic rules for the purpose of self-preservation. I want you to get that. Emphatic rules for the purpose of self-preservation. What are you saying? I'm saying God did give us rules. Now, some people don't like rules. How many sometimes don't like somebody telling you what to do? Amen. But how many, when you get on the highway, how many are thankful that there are lines down the highway? I personally, for one, am thankful that we all drive on the same side of the road, and we understand that. Now, there's always a few exceptions, but ultimately, if we're going down the road here in the United States of America, we drive on the right side of the road, and I'm thankful for those little double yellow lines, amen, that keep all the other people going the other way on their side of the road. I don't like somebody telling me what to do. We don't like people telling us what to do, but we benefit and we are thankful for rules and guidelines. God gave us rules. So be careful when somebody says, I don't want to go to a church that has no rules. They usually don't mean that. They usually do not mean that. We're thankful for rules, and these rules that he gave us are not things to hem us in. They are things, if we listen to what he's saying, these rules he gives us are for our self-preservation. They are for the purpose of us being able to be preserved, to live a long life. In fact, we're even going to see that 
in the fourth commandment of honor thy father and thy mother, or the fifth commandment, rather, of honor thy father and thy mother. But let's begin, if we will, tonight with just the starting point. I want to talk about the starting point. And we're going to go to the starting point. The starting point is simply God's revelation to them of his name, I am. I am. I'm titling this because I am. That seems like a unique name for a series on the Ten Commandments. Because I am. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that God revealed himself to them and it was his identity that what was to be their motivation for following the Ten Commandments. Why people are so quick to disregard the Ten Commandments then and today is because they lack the revelation of who he is. So don't be shocked when a, 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 a contingency of culture and societies and nations and the world disregard and displace the Ten Commandments, it's because they don't have a relationship with who He is. It's not just sufficient to etch the Ten Commandments on the walls of a courthouse. It will serve as good advice and good counsel, but without the revelation of who he is, it's not going to have meaning. It's not going to have implication in your life. And so the starting point is just as important as following the rules and the guidelines, the commandments that God's giving us. First of all, we see this here. As we said, God revealed himself in relationships to Adam, Noah, Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Joseph, we could go on with others. But now God is going to reveal himself by a new name, an all-encompassing name. I am that I am. He does so to Moses at the burning bush. God reveals his name to Moses. And God said, to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So God reveals his name to Moses. I was studying this and looking at this and God is, or Moses is asking God, who do I say has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am that I am. Now, we could spend an entire study on that. If you've never done that, it's a good study, but I won't take time on that now. But he is saying, I am the self-existent one, literally. I am that I am. He is. God is. He is. And in that phrase, and that, that's translated from the Hebrew down to uh, uh, English for us, and so it's the best way. The KJV is putting it in the best way we can understand. I am that I am. But literally, God is saying, I am. I am the existent one. He said it in another way. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. 
I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I am all in all. He is everywhere. He, there, there is no limit to God. Not only that, all of the attributes of God are summed up in that in that phrase, I am that I am. There is no one that created God. He does not have a beginning point. That's not comprehensible to our human minds. God never started. God never, here's another thing. Not only did he not start, he, he, he always has been, but God doesn't wear out. He was not created. He's not wound up. I am that I am. It's that is why we can say Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God manifest bodily. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. He does not age. He does not tarnish. He does not wear out. I am that I am in that revelation alone. And how many remember the absolute series that we did a few years ago? Absolute, the eight attributes of God. We expounded that uh, at length talking about that. But in saying that I am that I am, <laughs> he, he's saying I'm God and I alone am God. All by myself I'm God. No one else is God. If there is another God, then we cease to be God. Then there's not. I am that I am. I alone, I am encompassing, am God. That revelation was so much. Not only did he reveal himself to Moses, but secondly, he reveals his name to Israel. Now, it's interesting because Moses says to God, who do I say is going to send me? And God revealed himself to Moses as I am that I am. But when Moses goes before Pharaoh, he simply calls him the Lord. He does not say, I am that I am. God's name was never revealed to Pharaoh. But then when Abraham goes, or, or not Abraham, but Moses rather goes to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 6, and he's speaking to the children of Israel, he reveals the name of God when he's talking to them. And he said, I, and he's speaking as the mouthpiece of God. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, and here's the first time we have the translation put into English, Jehovah, was I not known to them? That Jehovah is, is the, uh, uh, the Jewish word, uh, they would say it, Yavhe Vavhe, and, and we would say it, Jehovah, the, the old, uh, uh, Hebrew did not have vowels in the word. And so when you translate that, that's our best attempt at getting that word into English. Jehovah is the English version of that word that God revealed himself to them. And it's the same as saying, I am that I am. I am. Before he was God almighty. Uh, how did our missionary say it? Uh, uh, um, God, he was, he was talking about his, his friend in Oman, that his uh, uh, God was it God most power or something like that. He was saying that was how he was saying it. But but now he reveals himself as Jehovah. He's revealed his name not only to Moses, but he reveals his name to the children of Israel as well. And here we see it in Exodus chapter number twenty when he says, "I." am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He's identifying not only who I am, I am. He's revealed himself, but now he's saying, and 
Oh, oh goodness, I could, I could spend a little bit. But if you want to know the ultimate meaning of Jehovah by the Jewish understanding, the, the rabbis would say this, not only is he the self-existent one, not only is the God most high, which is what Abraham would call him, the God most high, but he was the God most high that stepped into time and space and dealt with humanity. And so it was not uncommon for the other pagan nations around this time and around the time of Abraham and Job for them to believe in an ultimate most high God, but they did not believe that that most high God had any dealing with humanity and what God is proving to Israel is not only am I the I am that I am but I am the Lord thy God this is personal I'm your God and I brought you out I'm going to tell you until you get you need a revelation of who God is and then you need a revelation that he's your God I I want the world to have a revelation of who God is, but I want him to go a step beyond and make him God, not only God, amen, that's all all ever present and everything, but now he's my God. That's what we're doing when we call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, literally, Jehovah has become my, my salvation. He's become my salvation. But not only is he my God and he's my, my savior, but he's the one that brought me out of the land of Egypt. How many are thankful that God's brought you out, that God's delivered you, that God set you free? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I say this? Don't expect someone to live the moral law of God unless they've been saved. They're not going to live the moral law of God unless they've been saved because this is the, pre- this is the starting point. I am that I am, Jehovah, and then I am thy Lord. I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. So this is the starting point. So because I am, now everything else is going to begin to fall into place. So let's real quickly look at this. The next part I'd like to look at is the Ten Commandments have been summarized. And twice in Scripture, we could look at them more places, but twice in Scripture they've been summarized. Moses himself would reduce all of the Ten Commandments down to one part in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law to the generation that was not alive at Sinai. It was an entire new generation. And so the law is given again, afresh. Why was it given again? Because God was saying, I'm making a covenant with you. I made a covenant with your fathers and your, their generation, but they didn't believe me. And so they wandered around the wilderness until they passed away. And now there's a new generation and God's saying, I'm making a covenant with you now. And in making that covenant, Moses is talking about it and he redeemed reduces it back down to one part. This is important. This is critical because Christ is going to quote this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number six. And here in chapter number six, God is speaking to them about the statutes and the judgments. Remember I said at the beginning that these are rules for self-preservation. These are rules that maintain, hold a promise, but they're also rules that can hold a curse if you disobey them. Look at verse number three. He says, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the commandments. That it may be well with thee... 
and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. So there's the promise that's there. And then he goes on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This was not a new doctrine. This came from the understanding of the revelation of what God revealed to Moses. I am that I am. Jehovah, the God most high who steps into time and space. I myself deal with humanity. Amen. God tells the Old Testament children this. They had this understanding and revelation. God Almighty, God uh, our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, dealt with humanity. Jesus Christ was the manifestation of that Almighty God that comes down and deals with humanity. He is not another part of God. The Old Testament Israelites understood. They understood that God Most High, who filled all in all, who was without beginning and without ending, who was from everlasting to everlasting, that God dealt with humanity Himself, that He Himself came down and would deal with humanity. Humanity. And so here he is. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is ultimate. This is paramount. This is important. There's only one God. There's only one God that you listen to. How many remember the message a couple weeks ago? I preached the law of witness, where I was talking about the witnesses. And when uh, uh, you brought a witness, uh, uh, when a witness was brought up, uh, there, you had that be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. And so the law made provision that somebody who was guilty could go free if there was only one witness because greater than the sin of that one person was the understanding that mankind has limitations. And you can never base anything upon the word of one person because even if they're saying it true, and right, their perspective is narrow. They don't see everything. And by that, the law taught us that the only single entity that you could ever take their word without question and live it out was the word of Almighty God. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Now Moses reduced the Ten Commandments down to that. God is one, and if you love him with everything in you, you will fulfill the perfect law of God, and you will fulfill all 10 of the commandments. We'll, we'll, we'll show you this in a moment. Christ reduces the 10 commandments down to two. We see this in Mark chapter number 12. Go with me to Mark 12. We'll, they'll have it on the screen. Mark 12, verses 28, someone comes to him. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, here it is, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, 
thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, Jesus said that. There's no other commandment greater than these. Now, there's a powerful phrase. In that phrase, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, that covers commandments 5 through 10 because it talks about, first of all, the love of life, which you've got to understand, your love of life, the value of life, which in turn is valuing your own life. And then from that, because of that, you, you are able to value others' lives. And we'll talk about that. So let's look at this. There's significances of the Ten Commandments. And I've got to uh, hasten on because we will not, by the way, get through all of this tonight, just so you know. This is a series. Turn to somebody and tell them to lighten up. This is a series. We're not going to be here all night. Although they did tell me that the batteries are freshly charged and I could go all night. The significances of the Ten Commandments. There's three significances, and I want to highlight these for you, but I'll let you go to them on your own, and you can study this out. The first significance of the Ten Commandments is how the Ten Commandments were given. The giving of the Ten Commandments. It was done in an incredible moment. Moses is commanded to go up on the mountain. He took the elders with him, but then the elders came to a point where they stopped. Moses goes up farther up the mountain, and while he's on the mountain, a cloud comes and covers the mountain. Moses is in the cloud with the Lord. He's in that cloud for 33 days. He's in the glory of the Lord, rested upon that mountain. The Bible says also later that that mountain burns with fire. Uh, but he's in the glory cloud of the Lord 33 days before God speaks to him. And then God begins to speak to him seven days later. In this moment that God's speaking to him, God tells him, take stone and make two tablets of stone. And he makes two tablets of stone. And then God, the Bible says, by the finger of God, the finger of God himself, he comes down and he writes on these tablets of stone. There was a supernatural giving of the law. This is so significant to the Israelites because this was not a law that they made. This was not a law that they created. There's been a lot of people try to discredit the Ten Commandments and say they copied them. They've, they try to discredit and say they copied the moral laws of Babylon and of other things. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility that another civilization at some point would have realized it's a good thing if we don't kill one another. And they put that on their laws. But the, the, the thing that the Bible tells us was that this law was given by God. This was not Moses' intellect. It was given by God supernaturally. So in Exodus 31, 18, and he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of the testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. So, so God himself righteous. That's the one significant. The second significant is the listing of the Ten Commandments. I will propose to you this, that these Ten Commandments are all encompassing on the totality of your life. These Ten Commandments are all encompassing on the totality of your life. If you get these Ten Commandments... 
That's pretty simple, just 10. If you get these and you endeavor to follow after these, they will cover every aspect, every relationship, every scenario of your life. Every point that you're in, you'll be able, if you're asking, what do I do? You'll be able to go back to one of these commandments and it will give you guidelines and parameters. And not only is it all encompassing in your life, but I would also propose this. And that is every commandment is successive upon the one that was given before it. Meaning that there is a building, there is a ladder. What does that mean? That means this, you will not be able to follow the ladder commandment if you do not first have the one down that's given prior. It's no accident that God gives them in this order. And so if somebody jumps in and they're trying to follow the commandment that says don't covet, or the commandment that says don't commit adultery, but they haven't got the other ones right, they will not be able to arrive at that point in that understanding. These things are successive. So there's a significance in the list that God gives. It's not an accident. And finally, the significance of the keeping of the Ten Commandments. When God gave them to them, to Moses, he told him, Moses, you're going to take these Ten Commandments, and he says you're going to put it in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was where the glory of God would abide in the congregation of his people. The Ark of the Covenant would move first, and they would follow it. And in the Ark of the Covenant, there were three things that were placed in there. There were the Ten Commandments. There was the bowl of manna that God gave that sustained them, And there was Aaron's rod that budded, which had been a branch that was cut off. Cut off. And, and the, the murmurers came and said, prove that you're called of God. And that branch overnight that was dead, that had been cut off, all of a sudden the next morning, it had a bud, it had a blossom, and it had an almond. It had every branch, every stage, if you will, of the fruit production on there. It was God signifying that I have anointed them and they are mine. It was God endorsing them. It was God's approval. It was God's proving of fruitfulness. The manna was God sustaining. But when we get to the temple that Solomon built, he brings the ark back into the temple out of the tabernacle of David. And at that time, by that measure, the ark had been lost in the Philistine camp. Now it's been recovered and all that remains in the ark of the covenant was the Ten Commandments. It's the only thing that's left in the Ark of the Covenant. And God commanded them, it's enough. It's all you need. You've got to keep these things. So there was significance about the keeping of the Ten Commandments. Hear me tonight. You cannot just come to an altar, repent of your sins, get baptized in water in Jesus' name, get the infilling of the Holy Ghost one time, and then go out and live however you want. God endeavors for us to keep his commandments in our life. Yes. And where the glory of God is, you will always find his commandments. Yeah. I can give you many, many listings in the New Testament of where he says you'll know them. You'll know that they have the love of God in them because they keep my commandments. Amen. What's the greatest? What's the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit is love. 
joy, peace, goodness, righteousness, all those other things. That's, that's in there. So, so we could by extension, it's not a stretch to say the fruit of the spirit is going to produce the ability Amen, Brother Zarita, to walk after the Ten Commandments that God gave. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't throw the Ten Commandments out. Amen. He made a way by which we, through the empowering of the Holy Ghost, could live after this. That's why, amen, the law, the Old Testament law of ceremony and ritual was incomplete because all it did was you went through the motions. It didn't change your heart. But the law that God gave to Moses had the ability to change your heart. If you could get the revelation that he's the I am that I am and that he's more than just the I am, but he's my God and he's more than just my God, but he's my savior and he's my deliverer. If you could get that in your heart, it had the chance to change it. And that's why the psalmist could write in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Powerful. Amen. 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 So it's powerful, powerful. So I leave you with this. Three principles. I'm going to leave you with this tonight. Three principles of the Ten Commandments. And next week when we get back, we're going to jump into this. And this is going to be exciting. The first principle of the Ten Commandments. First principle is here. Is that each commandment testifies to the real temptation or propensity to break it. Every commandment that is listed is identifying the fact that we are human, we are not God, and there is a reality of the temptation in our life to break this commandment. And I'm going to tell you, it's a reminder, as I preach Sunday, God knows that we are not God. He knoweth our frame, and He remembereth that we are dust. God knows we are not God. And these Ten Commandments testify to the reality of our temptation that we are going to have to break those commandments. He says, I am that I am. That's, that's the revelation. I am the Lord thy God. But then he goes into it and he says, thou shalt have no other God's before me. Your first commandment, your first temptation, I should say, your first temptation is to set up another God alongside him. Your first temptation is to have somebody else's voice that you equate just as much as God's voice. Hear me today. Hear me today in our, in our secular world uh, today. Do not elevate the voice of any personality or of anyone above the voice of Almighty God. Amen. We, we stand on the word of God. And if you don't stand on the word of God, you're going to set yourself up for a lot of failure. Amen. So that every temptation testifies to the re, re, reality or every commandment testifies to the real reality or propensity we have to break it. Amen. So when God says thou shalt not kill, what is he acknowledging? He's acknowledging, can I just be very honest, that we will all face the temptation to kill somebody some point. You say, no, I've never wanted to kill somebody. Oh, really? <laughs> How long have you been alive? And you must not get out much. <laughs> somebody's going to hurt you. Somebody's going to cross you. Somebody's going to do something to you that's going to drive you to a place of pain so great. All right. So that's coming next week. I don't want to get into that. Second principle. Each commandment is given in simplicity. In simplicity. But it speaks 
to the complexity of working out its obedience. For example, thou shalt not kill. That's very simply stated, not killing somebody who's harmed you and hurt you in ways that are unimaginable is a very complex process to work out. It's going to involve a whole lot of faith in God. It's going to involve a whole lot of healing and love from God. It's going to involve some forgiveness along the way. And it's going to involve you living through injustices and inequalities for a time, knowing that life has a way of coming full circle. But ultimately, everything is going to be justified and settled by God in His own time. That is a very complex thing to work through. And so the the commandment is given to us in a simplicity, but the commandment, the principle of the commandment is the working out of complex situations in our life. This is where I believe if we look at the Ten Commandments in this view and this lens, there will not be one of us that is not touched in every point along the way from every single commandment in our life. And finally, the third principle is this, that each commandment is successive or foundational to the next commandment, which is what I already talked about that a little bit in the listing of the commandment. But each commandment is successive or foundational to the next commandment, meaning you will not do well in keeping the last if you neglect the keeping of the prior. We wonder why we wonder why the temptation of thou shalt not kill is so strong but until we understand the principle of honor thy father and mother which in that if I could give you a little hint a little glimpse when he says honor thy father and mother who are your father and mother your father and mother are the ones through whom God used to bring you life God didn't say that they're perfect. He didn't say that you had to emphatically obey every flaw and every fault and every wrongdoing. But he says honor. You are to have an honor. You are to have a respect. You are to have an acknowledgement that God uses other broken people to bring about life in my process. And in doing so, I respect and I honor my own life. And when I honor and value my own life, then I am able in turn to look at somebody else and value their life. And so this is a very deep thing. It's very simple. Just honor your father and mother. And if you keep the, the, the commandment of honor your father and mother, the complexities of all those things work out just in the keeping of that. We're going to talk about that a little bit. That is why the culture of death that is among us today that is entering in is so devastating. It is so devastating. Suicides on the rise. Suicides on the rise. Well, and we're going to see other things that are going to be on the rise because we have a culture of death that's breaking in. There's no regard. What did he say in the last days? He said children would be disobedient to their parents. He said in the last days, there's going to be a generation. This is a significant thing. He said there's going to be a generation. They will disregard their parents. They're going to disregard their authority. They're not even going to pay attention to them. And they're going to be, they're going to ostracize their parents. They're going to have no respect for them. They're not going to care whether they live or die. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen when that happens. Well, everything else is going to collapse. 
Because if you don't get principle five right, if you don't get commandment five right, you're not going to get commandment six right. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And all of a sudden, everything unravels. We can't expect people to honor their life and love their own life. We can't expect people to respect and honor their own parents if they cannot understand that hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's why it matters who you serve. It matters what God you follow after. And so a pagan God that we would deify, everything else is going to unravel. It's going to fall apart. That's why Marxism is so destructive, because in order to come in, it makes a God of the people other humans. It makes a God of the people the state. And so what is the enemy of the state is they eradicate and they want to destroy all religion and all ultimate authority. That's why when our missionaries were here and we had that Q&A in the Access Challenge Nation, they were talking about going into North Korea and praying in North Korea. They were talking about in North Korea... The reality of believers in North Korea is such, everybody remember this, that they will bring, they will take, they will take a Bible and they'll rip a few pages out of the Bible and they'll go into the kindergarten class and they bait children and they'll say, hey kids, do your parents have any books with pages like this? And these kindergartners, they don't know that you you ask a kid something at that age, you're going to be honest. I'm nervous now when people ask Luca anything because no telling what he's going to say. It may or may not be true. But you ask a kid this, and if they say yes, they penalize not just the child, but they go back three generations. If they find that you are a believer, that you believe the Bible, then they will take you, your children, and your parents, all three generations, and they throw you in prison. That's how forceful they are. So a Christian has to have the decision in North Korea, am I going to be, am I going to share my faith with my children and risk them telling and us all going to prison, or I'm going to hold my faith alone by myself? That is a reality of today, right now, that we're living, of believers in North Korea. If there's anybody you ought to pray for, you ought to pray for faith and grace, for the believers, the the, the underground church that's in North Korea. But what kind of a system, what kind of a, a thing is it that people are so terrified by this? Well, somebody that's going to break it all down, somebody's going to fight against those things. Can I tell you, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but we are in a spiritual warfare in our world. Stand together with me tonight. I'm thankful that I know in the back of the book we win. I'm thankful to know that he wins. I'm thankful to know that he says, I'm going to put all things under my feet. And so our trust and our faith is in God and in his word. And I'm here to tell you this, that his principles are true and his commandments are true. And we can follow the commandments of God in any situation. Amen. And they're going to give us power and there's going to give us promise. Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord tonight? God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray tonight, God, that you would anoint the hearing of your word. I pray that what we receive, God, would not just be something that we would just discard, but let it enter into our soul and into our heart. Let us marinate upon this, God. Meditate upon it. Let it change the way we think and the way we live. And I give you glory and honor and praise tonight. Let this be a blessing into every heart, every home, every family, every marriage. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name.